Good morning, everybody. Good morning. morning. I thought summer series, you got like 10 people. <laughs> so there's a bit of a bigger crowd than I'd planned for this morning. But um, my name's Camilla. Um, I've been part of this church with my husband, Robert, who I'd love to get a glass of water from, if you don't mind. Um, for, we've been part of this church for about 25 years. Um, half our lives. Um, we've got two adult daughters. Um, they're both off um, flown the nest. One's in Columbia at the moment, the other one's in Washington, D.C. or Philadelphia or somewhere. So, and one of them's over there on the sofa being very supportive, um, which is great. Um, and we've also got a dog. Um, yeah, so this was um, last week. It was our 29th wedding anniversary, and um, we thought our family wasn't complete without a dog. So, um, so Robert got me a dog. Just wait, she can do tricks as well. She's amazing. Look, watch this. Oh, look at that. So, um, yeah, we're a complete family now, which is great. Right, Benny, you can go back in the box. Um, so, we love this church. Oh, thank you, Robert. Um, that's just so Robert gets a little proper mention, you know, a little, little walk past. And um, this church is family. It's a community looking out over all of you, and most people are recognised. But if you're new, I hope you realise already this morning that this is a community of people who really care about each other. For full disclosure, I have not been to preaching school. Um, I don't even have an A-level in RS. But I did some research, and I heard recently that the way to do a talk like this is to choose one passage and to stick to it. So I've chosen Psalm 139. But before I get onto that, I'm a journalist, and sometimes I have to give talks for my job. And the best tip I learnt is to spend 80% of my time researching my audience and 20% preparing what I'm going to say. So as I spend 51 weeks of the year sitting where you're all sitting, I can hopefully engage a bit with where you are. And all that hanging around before and after church drinking coffee is me doing serious research. There are so many stories in this church. Every week, there's a new story. Every life represented in this room is another story. I've loved hearing all the stories this summer from the six weeks of summer um, series and learning about people's lives. And I want to include some other voices this morning. This is a WhatsApp message from a friend who left London but used to come to our house group. So as part of my research for today, I asked her her opinion on the topic of why Jesus. And she wrote this. I often think back to our wonderful house group and remember the close family feel of house group. Where else do you get that outside of family? I remember countless stories of I went here and X happened or I spoke to this person and Y happened. We give Jesus the glory in the positive times and show faithfulness in the hard times when sometimes just believing is all you can manage, but he's a constant. I think it's interesting that the church is really the only organization that is there from birth to death, and Jesus is a permanent throughout that. This was someone I hadn't been in touch with for five or six years, but what a testimony, what a memory, and what a challenge. Recently, I felt like I haven't had very many stories. It's been a case of just getting through each day, hopefully having achieved something. And her message got me thinking. I like to ask a lot of questions. 
I always have. I was an exhausting child. A journalist is basically an exhausting, nosy child who grows up and creates a profession around their interests. There are plenty of curious people in the Bible, so I'm in good company. People who ask a lot of questions. And the text I've chosen today was written by a poet called David. It's Psalm 139. David was certainly an interesting person, and he was an ancestor of Jesus, as we know, but he wouldn't have known that. What he writes in this psalm is mind-blowing. He doesn't even know Jesus because Jesus comes long after him. But his words tell us so much about God and the fact that he is everywhere. I'll start at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. In the depths? That's why I always look for Jesus in the tube. These are my literal depths. When I get in, I look around and I wonder who all the people are. Don't you do that? Um, I wonder what Jesus thinks about them. Where are they going? What are they doing? What are they listening to? What are they reading? What makes them happy? Why do they all look so grumpy? And sometimes, when I'm feeling rubbish and stuff isn't going very well, I'll be asking, where are you, Jesus? What are you doing over there? Why can't I see you here in this situation? How many times do I need to pray for you to show up? Why are you late? Why do you love me? What else can I do for you? Endless questions. But as a Christian, I believe the word of God. I know that his hand will guide me, that his right hand will hold me fast. We're always connected to him, and he is always there, whether we like it or not. When Ruth did her talk a couple of weeks ago, she gave us all a piece of elastic, and it was a brilliant way of illustrating our stretchy relationship with Jesus, sometimes, sometimes really close and sometimes really pushing it. I spent the week after her talk asking myself, where is Jesus right now for me? Was he walking next to me, chatting, sharing my day, me asking him sensible questions and him responding? Or is he carrying me along the beach like those posters that have only one set of footprints? Or am I hanging on to his coattails for dear life, afraid, unsure of my footing, clinging on with no questions at all? Just let me get through today. Stop me from slipping. Catch me if I fall. I remember speaking to Ella the week that Ruth spoke, and that's how I felt. I said, I'm just hanging on to his coattails. And we agreed that that probably might be something worth including in this talk, because it's hard when you're just hanging on and you've got nothing to say. My niece is 20, and she climbed Mount Kilimanjaro this summer. And so did a couple of other people in this church. <laughs> David and Daniel climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. It, hers was a charity trip with 26 people from her university that she hadn't met before. She just knew one friend going. And when I asked her about it, she said what an amazing group they were. They'd really bonded, and they're planning another mountain climb for next summer. Her words were, 
I realized that I had to climb a mountain to really find my people. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn. In other words, she had to go through the tough climb. Did my research this morning. Was it a tough climb? It was a tough climb. Good. The altitude, altitude sickness, the discomfort, the living in a tent, the outside loo or hole in the ground. Did a bit more research this morning. Stuff you really don't want to know. The tiredness, all to rise on the wings of the dawn and to go up to the heavens. My coattail hanging on is me going up the mountain with Jesus. How do I know he's there? Precisely because I have nothing to say. Because he knows that sometimes it's impossible to have a conversation. He doesn't mind. He's okay with that. God doesn't say in the Bible that he'll meet us on the bus or in the office on the seventh floor because those places didn't exist when David was writing. But I know that we can meet God there too. Those might be your mountain or your depths. My grandmother's favourite hymn was All Things Bright and Beautiful. And I remember singing it at her funeral. I thought about singing this and then I thought again. It's all right, Eloise. It's all right. Each little flower that opens, hum in your head. Each little bird that sings, he made their glowing colours. He made their tiny wings. On holiday this year, we practised owl. Does anyone else speak owl? No. Good. So I'm going to give you a little lesson. So I can now talk to the owls when I hear them in the trees at night. Okay, this is how it goes. There's lots of it, okay? <laughs> now, I felt a bit silly at first. I'd like you all to have a go, actually. Whoever's laughed really loudly over there, I want to hear your owl call. Okay, one, two, three. <laughs> Thank you very much. Lovely, love a bit of audience participation. Um, you feel a bit silly at first, but when the owls started to answer us, it was spine-chillingly incredible. Is prayer a bit like that? A bit like learning a new language to talk to Jesus? Calling out and feeling slightly ridiculous in the dark. But then we get an answer. A sense in our spirit that we're not alone. Having said all this, I'm a fairly headstrong person. I like to get things done. I can charge ahead and try and change the world in a day. And I often do things in my own strength, and then I usually crash. It's like I've said, Jesus, leave those lists. It's like I've said, going too fast, Jesus, leave this one to me. You go and have a tea break. I've got this. I'll tell you all about it afterwards. Do you relate to that? Do you get burnt out? Well, I've been finding new ways to connect with God. And as part of my audience research, I found that other people have been doing this too. I've noticed that lots of people talk about connecting with nature, maybe not learning owl, but maybe other things, as a way that they first connected with Jesus, even if they weren't aware of it. So I'd like you to welcome my friend, Judy Mayhew. Hello. 
So, Judy, I'm going to ask you a few questions, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't practiced this because we think off the cuff is so much better. Um, can you tell me about your early childhood? What did you enjoy? Okay. So, I grew up, um, our, our garden uh, backed onto the 16th fairway of the Royal Wimbledon Golf Club. So, we didn't even have a fence. So, I, I used to spend all my time just exploring and in the woods. And even from the age of about five, six, it seemed perfectly safe in those days. And my mum used to have this old cowbell that she rang when it was lunchtime. So you could hear it from over a mile away. So it was just free freedom. And I just, I would spend so much of my time out in the woods um, looking for mole tracks. I spent all my pocket money on wildlife books. And, uh, you know, just looking for mole tracks, looking for collecting ladybirds, hunting for newts. We had a little stream going through the garden. And I just felt completely at peace and myself and just safe, full of joy. It was just magic for me to be out there. And I would that would be my first choice of uh, activity, just on my own, out there in, in nature. And it was just blissful. And it hasn't changed. <laughs> and when you were there, did you feel alone? You were alone? Absolutely not. No, I felt completely... I've, I felt very connected. I felt very... It felt very, very natural. I felt very much at home, and I felt very connected, and I felt accompanied all the time. I never felt lonely. And were you a Christian at that time? No, no. Well, I mean, my mum taught us the Lord's Prayer and everything, but I didn't know Jesus, no. And so <clears throat> how did you feel about Jesus when you first became a Christian? How old were you, and what was that experience? Well, I became a Christian when I was 23. Um, I'd been going out with a Christian, and he seemed to want me to become a Christian and was praying like mad that I would become a Christian. And uh, I wasn't really interested. He got me to read John's Gospel, and I read John's Gospel. Um, and I thought, yeah, Jesus sounds quite nice, I suppose, but a bit boring, you know. And, you know, so I... And then he took me... I mean, do you mind if I do the whole thing? <laughs> then he took me to, um, to a service, you know, where there was a bloke in a white suit climb going up and down the thingy and praise the lord and there were people in front of us going praise the lord and i thought right this is definitely not for me and i told him afterwards and he nearly cried but anyway that was it that's where i was so then and then i then i did started picking up things and i went on holiday with my sister um to a greek island and i happened to take with me mere christianity that a friend had given me and um I had, I won't go into complete detail, but I had, we, we, we got to this room, I was sleeping in a double bed with my sister and there was a strange man in a single bed over there. These were in the days where you were landed on a beach in the Greek island and, and you just looked, people were touting rooms and you never booked in advance, you just said, okay, I'll go with this guy. So there was a single man in a bed there and a single woman in a bed there, neither of whom I knew, and my sister and I in a double bed. And... Um, Anyhow, so I didn't know I was going to tell you this, but anyhow, I've we started didn't start this bit. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was reading away. It was 11 o'clock at night. My sister was already in bed, and I was reading away in my nighty in bed um, this bit in mere Christianity. And, um, and as I say, it wasn't what I read. It was what came with it. And I read this, this sentence which said, every time we hurt God... Um, whether it's an unkind word or a selfish deed, you know, um, every time we sin, we hurt God. And the first time in my life, I was really comfortable with making God angry, really comfortable with that. You know, I knew, I knew he was cross with me. But the words that the Holy Spirit highlighted to me is that I hurt him. And as I read those words, 
I didn't know I was going to say this, actually, so I, I hope I don't regret it. But anyway, as I said those words, I saw the face of Jesus. And I didn't see him with my physical eyes. I saw him with my spiritual eyes. And he was over in the top left-hand corner of the room. I mean, it was that specific. And I, could st I looked sort of into his eyes, and I saw such love that I was overwhelmed by the fact that I'd hurt him absolutely overwhelmed. I got out of bed, I put on a jacket, I went out into the dark, and for two hours I cried. And I just couldn't stop saying, I am so, so sorry. But the key thing, and the reason I'm telling you this, is that when I had that experience, when I saw him, I recognized him. And it, it hit me like, I thought, oh my word, it was you. It was you, all those years out there in the woods. It was you, all that time in the countryside. It was you. And, and, and I spent the rest of my life putting two fingers up and saying, I don't, I'm not interested, you know. And, but it was you, you know. So it completely changed my life, you can imagine. Um, and uh, so, so for me, I've always found God in nature. I, personally, I feel that... It's his DNA. He created it. How could he not be present? But more than that, I think it's our. I think it's a way we can connect with him very strongly through nature. We can find him there, and I found him there as a little girl. I didn't know it was him. I was communing with all those days, but it was because I recognised him, and uh, so that's. So what's really <laughs> exciting about that is that you didn't know Jesus, but. Then when you met him, you knew him. I recognise Which means him. that everyone who is climbing mountains or walking on Wimbledon yeah, Common yeah, yeah. or arranging some flowers in their house, they're all connecting in a way with God's creation. Mm. And this led you on to train to do yeah, something yeah. in the secular world yeah. to do with nature. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, I'm, I'm I've joined this uh, charity called Dose of Nature, which I saw your name on. And we haven't even talked about it, have we? Well, anyhow, I've joined this charity called Dose of Nature. I was sitting, I've recently retired, and I thought I want to um, do some volunteer. I tried things like riding for the disabled, but, you know, I've had a new hip and a bad toe and everything, and running around with a trotting pony is not much fun uh, when you've got those problems. Um, I thought, but I definitely want something to do with nature. And so I started researching what charities used nature. And I came across this, which is a local charity. They're based in Kew, which is, I mean, and I was doing the World Wide Web on this. And it was based in Kew, um, which is five minutes from where I live on the bus, 10 minutes. And um, so I looked up the, the website and... I applied, and they work with, basically they're a charity who work with people who have uh, mild mental uh, problems. So it could be ADHD, it could be depression, it could be anxiety, it could be OCD, whatever like that. And um, their doctors refer them to this charity because... Um, because the return of the people who are referred to Dose of Nature is lower than the return of the people who they put on drugs, on antidepressants and things. So it's more successful. So the GPs refer these people to us. Um, and what we do is, as volunteers, we have uh, a client, for the better, want of a better word, one hour a week for eight weeks. And we take them into nature. It's got to be outside, the whole thing. Take them into nature. Talk about the science, because it's not just all in the mind. 
it's scientifically present. We, we change physiologically in our bodies when we spend time outside. We literally, you can measure it, and I can tell you a bit about that if you want later. Um, so, like no, it, it really does, it really does. Um, and so we take them out for an hour, and part of it is empathic listening to where they're at, and part of it is interaction with nature. You know, you use all your senses, touch, smell, sight, sound. You really immerse yourself, you allow nature to heal you, which it does. And I mean, you know, you talk about things like hugging trees, and I can remember, I can remember thinking, what a load of rubbish, but um, if you actually lean against a tree and just stand there peacefully, letting it carry your weight, you'd be, you'd be amazed at what comes into your mind and how, how these things sort of heal you. And, and but the idea of the science is that um, it's really helpful to people who think, you know, oh, bless you, no, I know, it's, I know you mean well, but I'm not a tree hugger, and, you know, bless you, go, go your way, but this isn't for me. Um, because it's really important to get the science across, because it's not just mm. wishful thinking. This is what I've been discovering, because yeah. my eyes were really opened by this, and now when I stop and smell the roses, I really smell the roses. I'm like, this is like taking a vitamin pill. Yeah. This is actually changing the chemicals in my body. It's yeah. been proven. So it does. yeah. I just want to encourage us to encourage our friends to see God in nature, whatever way that is, but being outside and taking your shoes off in the wet grass or whatever it might be, or walking on the beach, which I'm sure lots of you have done this summer, that's doing something about our relationship with God. And we're not designed to live in concrete, excuse the kind of political no. moment, but you know we're not. Um, we're designed to be connected with what God has made and all the beauty that he has made. So thank you mm. so much Pleasure. for can filling I, us I, in. Oh, I, oh. I left it. I was going to read you a quick poem. Okay. So I just want to take a moment, and we'll do ministry after communion, but just to reconnect with Jesus where we are right now. I talked about walking hand in hand, hanging on to coattails, running out ahead. And maybe you've got loads to say to him, but maybe you've got nothing to say today. And that's absolutely fine. Or maybe you just want to stand next to him and say hello again. So we'll just take a moment now before we go into communion. <laughs> 